Good morning. Welcome back. Let's pray. I'm going to pray for you, dear. Amen. I'm going to sprinkle you with more of that epiphany water. I think just stick it in a squirt gun and... Yeah. Didn't your mom do that? Locked and loaded. Yeah. When we'd say bad words, she would just pray us. Well, not me, my older siblings. Oh, you, you never did that? No. Oh, you're so good. I got the Tabasco sauce. What? Yes. Did you really? Yes. Did you do like soap? Wash out the mouth with soap? She tried bars of soap, Tabasco sauce, and then the really? holy water she'd chase us with. It was in a bottle, so, a squirt bottle. You know, everyone has different like... Um, <laughs> Techniques? <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm going to say, I was going to say, <laughs> I, let me finish. Vices. I was going to say different oh. vices because um, we didn't swear in my house growing up. That wasn't a thing. Like my dad never swore. My mom never swore. And you know me. Like I oh, never yes, swear. Oh, yes, you never, ever. Yeah, I, I'm correcting my kids. It might have been just saying the Lord's name, like G-O-D or... Yeah, my parents never did that, ever. D-A-M-N. No way. We, they, they never allowed that in our house. Holy cow. <laughs> um, so there was never that. No Italian swearing? Um, no. I, I, I'm trying Die. to remember. I'm Die. trying to think. Of, I mean, we absolutely had like our own vices in our home, uh, you know, sins and, and, and all that other sort of stuff. But like, I'm trying to think. My parents did not punish us. They didn't punish us for... Um, like for that idea of the the use of the tongue um, in blaspheming, like mm-hmm. that whole idea of the spiritual dimension mm-hmm. of things. But there is, interestingly, I just got a text, I think it was like a Facebook message from someone who's saying there's a rise in uh, black masses, so satanic black masses, where they are going into Catholic churches, Catholic masses, and um, stealing hosts. Uh, Because in those places where you can receive communion in the hand, people are uh, increasingly taking the host and um, leaving. And so there was some, I don't know, some satanic organization that was bragging about this, that they they were able to access and get a hold of the Eucharist, you know, the sacred body of Jesus uh, in his real presence. Um, so so that, that dimension of the spiritual and the way it sneaks in, that's something that did happen in our home. I've told you this, the Ouija board. Uh, and I remember seeing Ouija boards being sold in like the games section of, of stores. Like it's some kind of kids game or just a fun family game. And I don't know, it was like a handful of years ago, I went to a store and, and I saw it and I hit it. <laughs> Can I do that? You did your part. I did my part. <laughs> I did my, I, I lowered the sales of Aww. Ouija boards in a store. I think I probably blessed myself several times t- before and after I touched it. Um, but just that it's idea so of the funny. use of, of holy water, you were saying, by the way, we haven't prayed yet. You so, not let me pray. Let me pray, and then I want to. I just want to talk a little bit more about that. That idea of the spiritual dimension of things and how we're not always aware of it. And I have a story about one of our daughters, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord our God, I thank you and praise you for faith and family, and faith in our families. And Lord, help us to be aware of uh, the spiritual dimension of parenting. That we parent our children not only against the. Uh, the world and the flesh, but also against the devil and the realm of the demonic and how we are called upon to fight spiritual battles. Lord, help us to realize that. Help us to enter in. And Lord, just help us to realize that we're also with you in the boat as we reflect on um, your holy word today, Lord, on those stories of of you as you walk this earth uh, and uh, involving boats. And so Lord, give us insight into your word. In Jesus' name, amen. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. Do you like how I introduced into the prayer itself, Carrie, the topic for the program? <laughs> was that pretty good? At least I wasn't teaching God. At least I wasn't teaching God in prayer. You were teaching your audience. I was, I I was informing the audience. Like As I'm talking to the Lord, the audience got to kind of be there on the sidelines, and they got to kind of watch, right? They got to watch mm-hmm. what was going to be happening uh, in, the, um, in the prayer itself. So you said... At the very beginning, I, as I was like, I sprinkled you with the epiphany water. 
And remember, folks, Epiphany water isn't just blessed holy water. It's triply exercised with special prayers. You can only, uh, this is my understanding, you can only make Epiphany water one day a year. That's on the Feast of the Epiphany, where that you have that ritual that you can do. And, and we got three gallons of it. Yes! And, and I'm going to do this. This is my little mission. If you would like some Epiphany water, if you missed out, I will get you. <laughs> what are you adding my to your wife docket? Will There's... get you Epiphany Let's water. Let's go over your schedule for <laughs> the last three days. I love this, Carrie. It th- we are stewards of this Epiphany water. I why we are stewards. We have been given so much Epiphany water. It's beautiful that I'm sure that there are folks who would love to have some of that Epiphany water that they can use in for the, like I did that with the, with the Holy relics, right? With the super relics, with the prayer cards. And, and we got that around to several people who asked for some super relics. And so we would send them, uh, I, w- I would pray and then I'd pick out a prayer card. And, and John Mark was the one who had the devotion to, to, to bring many Holy cards with him. So he had to surrender. He made the act of sacrifice to give up some of his um, super relics, some of his prayer cards. I did ask the guy that rolled up the suitcase at the... You're talking about the Novena. Novena last night. To Our Lady of Lords. What he had in his suitcase. I was like, I ran into him at the end of the event tonight. I said, I really wanted to see your loot. Like, what your was loot. in... <laughs> what was in that roller suitcase? He said he had a lot of candles... In statues, in pictures, and I don't know. It was, it was really sweet. That's a great sign of devotion. I think it's a great strategy. Like, did you put all your stuff in like a, a backpack or a roller bag or? Huge I only suitcase? brought a handkerchief to the. Oh, I thought that you brought a bunch no, of. No, holy... John Mark did. He, oh, he, he was came the... walking in with <laughs> our our. Our consecrated images to the Sacred Heart and to he the Immaculate Heart. Carry he all that. Carried, he carried it all in, and I, I felt, I felt like you know what I got to own this. This Ooh. is my son, so I took it all from him, and right. I said I got this, and so I had it all spread out, all the prayer cards spread out on the Sacred Heart of Jesus pick image, and I touched the relics to all of them, <laughs> and it was uh, it was a thing. It was it, a yeah. Oh, well, let's leave that alone. I let's just, kind of move. But I, that I that that idea of what the material becomes invested by the touch of the spiritual, and so sacramentals are about that, right? About this idea of mediation that the Lord uses His creatures to mediate a spiritual contact with the material, the world that then impacts our lives. And I said that in a generic way because yeah. there's also a demonic dimension to that like a Ouija board or a satanic black mass, right? Just hmm. these horrific things. Um, well, one of uh, I, I got a text from one of our kiddos and said, Dad, what do you think about tarot cards? And this is, this is a, one of our daughters who uh, has struggled. And, and so it ended up being a great conversation. And I, you know, I said, of course, I immediately just said, stay clear, demonic, let's talk. And so we had a chance to talk about it. And the neat thing was, was she didn't deny the reality of the demonic, did not doubt that I was serious and that this is not just a light matter to take lightly. Um, And the interesting thing that came of it was that she said that there were these other cards, not tarot cards, that um, had like symbology and images that were um, like on the way towards tarot cards, sort of tarot cards light. And I thought, I, I, I don't remember the name of them, but it was like, wow, what a, what a terribly clever, what a terribly dark and clever way to begin to socialize young people into and towards something that is uh, that that has this like this this open door to the demonic and it was uh, it was a really good conversation that's awesome yeah so just that 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 realm of uh being being aware of the realm of the spiritual and how that is that is a thing 
Um, one of the things that they're doing, Carrie, at the Oaks is they're doing that um, big prayer, uh, like around-the-clock prayer ritual. And they um, aren't they walking the outline of the new building that they're building? Did you see that picture? I saw a video. I got a couple letters, and they have prayer every Friday. The moms walk the property and do prayer, and they do prayer Monday morning. So I'm not, and we've got prayer cards. <laughs> like, what other part of prayer do I, I don't know. I probably missed something. Well, no, but I like it because you saw it in the video. I think they actually showed people walking the outline of the building. Oh, okay. And and for me, that that's just another example of it. It's it's the physical action in the real world of walking a property line, yes. the outline of the actual foundation. This is where the physical building is going to be. And so we're investing that space with a sense of this is given over to God and to godly purposes. And uh, how beautiful that is, right? How beautiful that is that this whole thing is being soaked in prayer, yeah. soaked in prayer so deeply. So, um, well, today, Carrie, on Sun Insight, you and I, uh, some stories to tell about uh, Jesus in the boat. Um, and I, hey, more holy water, water in the boat. Uh, we were talking yesterday about the church is the Ark of Salvation, that in the church you find a refuge against the destructive storms and how important it is for us to have that awareness that that being part of the church is such a gift. And we had a, chance, a great chance to talk about that yesterday. Folks, if you missed that program, please go to mycatholicfaith.org. You can get access to the podcast. You'll also get access to the Apple podcast version. It's the Dr. Tom Curran podcast of these programs. So mycatholicfaith.org, and you can um, you can subscribe to the Apple podcast. But Carrie, we also started in at the end of the program on um, Jesus in the Boat and how there are many stories in the scriptures, in the Gospels, of Jesus and boats. And so yesterday I said, well, let's start with one. And you picked the one where there was the great multiplication of the fish, the great catch, where Peter was called. And so we had a chance to talk about that one uh, yesterday. Okay, I'm going to ask you for another one. When you think about Jesus and boats, is there another story that kind of comes to your mind as one that um, we we can talk about. Well, Tom, I'm going to go with door number three, <laughs> the most popular boat story of Peter, and Jesus falls asleep, and they all freak out. Nice. That's so the that's actually, the gospel explanation. You combined two together, but that's what? good. What? I did not. Yes, you did, because you said Peter, and I thought you were going to say something else about Peter in a boat with it was Jesus. Jesus, and Jesus falls asleep, and then the storm... Oh, when you ask to walk on water. But is that a different That's one? That's a different story. But when the storm comes, isn't that also Peter? I don't think it's Peter. I think it's just the apostles. Oh. Uh, I don't, and say hey, that to him. Let's just go with typical, yes, I probably combined a few stories together. <laughs> hey, do you know how late it is? And do you know that I actually turn into a different person after nine o'clock at night? <laughs> That's why I this threw is all as that water good on as you, it Carrie. gets. Everyone can feel sympathetic towards my kids, and that they have to put up with this cranky mom after nine o'clock at night. So, and now you have to. <laughs> I'll try really, really hard to be nice. Offer it up, dear. I, I am higher place in heaven. Let's go. So, all right. So let's start with that one where the uh, <laughs> which one. The storm, the storm <laughs> okay. and the sea. Well, oh. and um, the thing about the storm and the sea has to do with the Sea of Galilee and how it sits between two, um, like two high hills on on either side. And the, and the sea itself is actually not very deep. And so what can happen is, is the way the wind comes down off of one of the sides, one of the, like the high, call it a mountain, comes off the mountain down across the sea. Because it's a shallow, because the, the Sea of Galilee is shallow across the middle, the storms can be, um, they can rage at a, a, at a more intensive way. Um, but that's on the one hand. On the other hand, you have a number of fishermen in these boats. So these are guys who would be very comfortable on the water. They'd be very comfortable. Uh, and it'd be kind of like flying and you had turbulence. Right? Pilots 
uh, don't get freaked out when they hit turbulence because it's like, oh, this is just, you know, yeah, you know, bursts of air, updrafts, and uh, or tops of storms, and those sorts of things. So, however, when we come back, we're going to dig into the meaning of this storm on the sea as it relates to our lives. Back in a minute with Sound Insight. Welcome back to Sound Insight. And so uh, we are talking about Jesus and boats. And so the story that we're talking about right now, Carrie, is the story of uh, here, the, here the apostles are um, with Jesus. They're crossing the Sea of Galilee and a storm arises, uh, uh, a storm, a big storm that is so disturbing to these fishermen. Not all of them are fishermen, but enough of them are fishermen where they are afraid. They are afraid. Aren't you afraid that we're going to be destroyed? And Jesus is sleeping. And isn't that striking to you? That- Very striking. I think it's a, it's one of the more funny stories as far as how the Lord allows to stretch them and push them and speak to them in a way that, I don't know, it's just really interesting how he, he did this. Well, do you think he was like making pretend he was sleeping? Well, I think he allowed all of this to happen for the sake of a story or the sake of lessons. Yeah. I don't think he was pretend sleeping. I think he was extremely relaxed. And I don't, what do, what is the right I answer? I don't know. I don't know. It's just, just I, I don't know if there's a right answer here, but I guess it would be this, is that on the one hand, that Jesus is so deeply in the Father and to, so deeply trusting of the Father that anything that will happen to him, he knows he's safe. So even the physical jarring uh, up and down and back and forth and, and all around of the boat being tossed about on the waves wouldn't wake him up. But I just you just think physically, how do you possibly sleep with all of that Was that an unusual around? storm? Or do you think the Lord, <coughs> excuse me, allowed it? Uh, I think it was um, it was one of those squalls that came up. It was just like a really bad one um, uh, of those kinds of storms that could happen quickly on the water, quickly and unexpectedly. Um, I, I just I just don't know to be honest with you. But it, it it's almost like the story itself seems so out there that Jesus could be in the middle of such bouncing around and still be asleep. It, but I, I I would say the best the best answer I can give is is that sense of him being so you said relaxed I just would say so at peace uh, or trusting that even the physical bouncing was not going to be enough to jar him out of his resting in God. Uh, do you know the saint? You don't remember this, but uh, there was a saint who would reference Jesus falling asleep in the boat. Um, as part of her answer when she would be criticized for falling asleep during prayer. That's a good one. You know who that was? Teresa. Catherine. Right. Yeah, it was. Uh, <laughs> all you got to just toss out a couple. You, you, should, you should have said Teresa, Catherine, and Mary, right? Do you know how many, and then Elizabeth, how many saints you cover by saying all that? Uh, okay, so I say Teresa, you said Teresa, the first name was right, but which Teresa? I don't know. The little flower, Therese. Okay. The little flower. So, she fell asleep in chapel and one of the sisters criticized her and she said, I was just joining Jesus in the boat. Hmm. Uh, and, and so I was sleeping in prayer. Uh, clever, very clever. Um, but for me, that scripture has the greatest meaning in my life for those times when I'm flying and I'm terrified. And I, I'm terrified not because objectively speaking, when I'm on a plane and it hits a lot of turbulence, that it's really a serious moment of danger. But for me, psychologically, just because of the triggered memories Mm -hmm. I have, it is terrifying. Mm -hmm. And I lean on God's word. I lean on two things in those moments. The first is the place in the catechism where it says that when you speak the name of Jesus, just speaking his name out loud makes him present. That the name of Jesus spoken evokes the very 
coming of Jesus to be present in that moment. And of course, it's not just say these syllables together and Jesus appears. It's not magic. It has to do with an evoking, uh, invoking, a calling upon the Lord. And so when I'm in those places where I'm feeling so vulnerable and exposed and overwhelmed by a circumstance that I have no control over, I speak the name of Jesus. Over and over? Over and over, Jesus, Jesus. And I know that he's coming to be present. And it, it, what does that do? It gives me the reminder I need that he's there. So that whatever happens, really whatever happens, Tom, you're not alone. He knows. He is with you. He is here with you. And he's even coming to you through the disturbing experience itself. Now, you're so afraid that you're not saying the surrender prayer, the Jesus prayer, the Jesus, you take over, I surrender. I mean, there's other prayers that you leaned on, but at this point, you're just so terrified. Yeah. Well, I would pray the rosary continuously, and what's in the center of the rosary? The name Jesus. And so that would be one of the like the impetuses or the hooks for me to pray the rosary is that I knew that I would be repeating over and over, Jesus, thy mm. womb, Jesus. But the, and then the second thing, the second thing, and then I'm going to tie this to things outside of, you know, being on airplanes and hitting turbulence, because uh, folks, can you see where this is going? How many times in your life are you on, on your life's way and you hit turbulence and you want to call upon the name of Jesus to bring that sense of confidence that he's with you. He's really, really with you in the storms of your life. He's there. Speak the name of Jesus. And, and so that's part one is don't feel, don't feel badly if you feel like Jesus has fallen asleep on you in the midst of the storm of your life. You're not alone. You're just not alone in that. That the Lord it was with his apostles, and they woke him up even though they were experienced fishermen. And, and they needed to know that he was actually there. So I really encourage you, dear brothers and sisters in faith, uh, that if you're struggling and, and just feeling out of control over what's going on, speak the name Jesus as a way of awakening to yourself the reality that Jesus isn't asleep. And the second one is, it's not that I would say, Jesus, you take over, uh, but I would say that, but it was, I would say, quiet, be still. Those two? Quiet, be two, still. Those two phrases. Yeah, those two sentences. Quiet, be still. Why? Who I'm said not that? I'm sure. Well, who uh, said that in the boat? Jesus said it to the storm. Exactly. And so when I'm saying it, what am I saying? Where's Jesus at that moment? He's in me. And so I don't have to stay in that place where I'm here, I'm calling upon Jesus, so Jesus is now showing up from over there, and now he's kind of popping along and he's along with me. No, he is in me. He is in me. I am a member of the body of Christ, and I have authority, and I can be drawn into his authority over the winds and the seas, over the storms that are raging. And so I would, when I was, you know, when I'm on those planes and I'm in that situation of feeling overwhelmed by the turbulence or whatever, I would, I would speak quietly. I wouldn't stand up and say, quiet, be still. <laughs> I command the winds and the storms of this turbulence. But in my heart, I would, with a sense of, command, quiet, be still. And I know this might sound hokey, but there are just a number of instances where in speaking that, things improved like quickly, almost immediately, and surprisingly. 
Now, when I say surprisingly, what I mean is like the pilot would come on and say, we've got another half an hour of this and, and I would be quiet, be still, and it would just disappear, you know, a couple minutes in. And, and there's kind of like, whoa, what happened there? What happened to the other, how, you know, the rest of that time? And it was just like, not, uh, it just wasn't a thing. So I, I want to recommend that as well. My brothers and sisters, that when you are facing turbulent times. Can I say that to you? When we get quiet, like a big argument, <laughs> big fight, quiet, be still. In I Jesus actually name. like that. I think that's grace. <laughs> I, I like that. Wait, that means you're going to be saying it to me. I know how this works. I, it's a twofer, it's right? A t- you get it on both ways. <laughs> well, why not? Isn't that fair, right? Yes. But it would be, I think that we would be speaking it to like the, the thing that's raging around us mm-hmm. because um, how many times have you said it to me in, in our married life when we have that sensitivity to the reality that it's not just flesh against flesh and the world against the world that's battling between us if we're in disagreement, but there's a demonic or a spiritual warfare aspect of it, and we're being harassed and harassed into like weird stubbornness and closed mindedness and harshness towards each other that doesn't have like a footing in our normal way of relating. So quiet, be still, I think is very powerful in that regard. So um, brothers and sisters, please, as we're you know, reflecting on these different passages of Jesus in the boat, just remember that uh, the Lord, it, in your estimation, may appear asleep, but he's not. And what he will awaken us to is the reality of his presence, but not only his presence, but the power of his name that has authority over these things that are happening in our lives. So pray for that. Pray for that sense of nearness to Jesus in speaking his holy name with reverence and love and in welcoming his presence, speaking from within that relationship with power and authority over the storms that are part of your life. So there we go, Carrie. I like it. Look at that. I like that. All right. So another, let's go to another boat story. Okay. So we've got that one, the storm. We've got the one where the miraculous catch a fish. Isn't it amazing how we've only gone through a couple and there's still several big, big ones that are still out there. Oh, yeah. I can only think of one more. Okay, well let's let's go with the one more that you remember, and then we'll go to, to lesser ones. Okay, uh, the one with Peter. He wants to walk on the water. Yep. Okay. Do you remember? Okay, you you know where it was. He was in the boat, and then uh, Jesus, Peter says, "You know, call me out onto the water." Um, do you remember what the situation was? Mm. Where was Jesus when Peter said that? Uh was he out in the water? He was on right? the water. He was walking on the water. Which is just and, interesting. And you remember, the uh, what did the apostles think? It was a, a ghost. It was a ghost. That was a ghost, or they were afraid. No, he said, hey, no, it's, it is I. It is I, the Lord. And then, <laughs> and that's what Peter says. If, must, it's, if it's really you. <laughs> I'm just thinking there's a lot of good Catholic jokes right around there, that whole story, but maybe not. You know that modern, there, there's some modern uh, scripture scholars who say, well, he wasn't really walking on the water. He was walking close to shore, and they thought he was on the water. And I'm like, oh, that is so weird. They do that with all it's terrible. sorts. Like the miracle of the feeding of the of the 7,000 was just that they shared. That was the miracle. They shared the food they, they had. They dumbed down all those. They, they wanted, well, and that's, they, this they is that I, emptying of the supernatural. Them of the supernatural. Or they weren't really filled with demonic possession. It was schizophrenia yeah, or, or mental epilepsy. illness or I don't yeah. even know. Yeah. It's just like, what? Well, and, and that shows the... Lack of faith. The lack of faith in the, in, in the spiritual, in the dimension of the spiritual. So, okay, Last question around this before we dig into the meaning of it. Um, what time of day was it when Jesus came walking on the water? Was it early morning? How early? Really early. How? What is really, like really, early really early? The third watch I have no of the, idea. <laughs> okay, it was the third watch of the night. 
Okay. The third watch of the night. Okay, when did... Why the, are you doing a watch at night? Okay, so when did the day start? Uh, I, I, these are all guesses. I have no idea. Okay, six o'clock at night was oh. the beginning oh. of, the, of the Hebrew day. That's oh. why you can go to Mass on Saturday night and have a count for oh. Sunday. It's because good Catholics, we like to kind of drag the holy day back to the to, to the, the to anticipated the lord's Testament. day use the jewish calendar <laughs> oh concept my goodness. so so six o'clock is when the day started so a watch what you when you were on guard okay. right so you'd be on watch for three hours so six to nine that's the first watch nine to twelve twelve to three so the third watch was beginning at three, three o'clock in the morning M. okay so it was at three o'clock in the morning and it was at that moment. <laughs> no wonder why they thought it was a ghost. Yeah, in the middle <laughs> of the night. Seen ghosts, right? So they're they're out in the water. They're crossing the lake at three in the morning, and all of a sudden, here comes Jesus walking towards them on the water. In our tradition, do you know what that's called? No, it's called the hour of visitation. Oh yes. Yeah, you've heard that before. Of course. Is that where they get it from? Yeah. Really? Yeah. No. Yeah. From that three a.m. Jesus walking. Right. I had I'm no serious. idea. Yeah, so the it hour... wasn't like some Old Testament three a.m. something or another. No. Okay, no. <laughs> like what I have two heads. <laughs> I don't know. You think I'm, I'm just... making stuff up. <laughs> well, so, yeah, that's what I do. <laughs> no. Okay, so uh, oh. I actually and I read a really interesting. Um, uh, well, we're up against a break. When we come back, I want to talk a little bit about this book that introduced me to the the custom or the um, practice of praying at three in the morning. Back in a minute on Sound Inside. Welcome back to Sound Insight. And during the, the brief break, Carrie realized that she was, you were mistaking the hour of mercy from the hour of visitation. The hour of mercy is the three o'clock hour. Why is that the hour of mercy? That's in the afternoon. That's three in the afternoon. Uh, I, I got this. We got this one. I got this. You got this one. Why is it? Jesus died on the cross. That's right. Yes. Very good. The hour of mercy. Okay. okay so this well, is Well, oh, so when you we, you, we wake up at 3 a.m., that's a common hour to wake up at. Isn't that crazy? It's so weird. It's okay, often so I look you, at my clock and it's like 2.59. Are you serious? Or 3.01 or 3 o'clock. What? Yes. That is a sign. God meant and then for the this Lord's, to happen. And then I'm like, I'm going back to bed. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Carrie, like you are missing out. No, I am telling you, I'm telling you, I'm telling you. When, I, when I've when i given this talk, like over the decades, when I first read this and started to share it in different settings around the country, um, and, and it was just every once in a while it would come out in, in a talk some about prayer or whatever, uh, I talked about the discipline of getting up at three in the morning to pray because it's the hour of visitation drawn from the story of Jesus on the boat, uh, Jesus walking on the water towards the boat. This was a special visitation, like a supernatural visitation where Jesus comes in a way that is completely, you know, uh, unexplainable at a human level. This is spiritual, supernatural stuff breaking into your life at three in the morning. And so the tradition is that the Lord will wake you up at three in the morning and order for you to be involved in a visitation. Now, here's the thing. You might be doing that for someone else. So a lot of people will say, I've been getting woken up by the Lord at three in the morning, and I don't know who it is I'm praying for, but I'll get up and I'll just pray until I feel like I'm free to stop. And then I can go back to bed. And so I, I hear that so often when I would mention this custom, this like this idea of getting woken up at three in the morning and praying that the Lord is using it as a visitation. Now, there was a Jesuit named George Maloney, and he, he wrote a number of books on prayer. But in one of the books he wrote, and it was, I think it was something about like thoughts on contemplation or something like that. He goes into specific things like disciplines. And one of them is praying during the hour of visitation. Okay. So you actually get up, you set your alarm, you wake up at three o'clock and you pray three to four in the morning. Do you remember I did that? Yes. When was like 10 years ago? Yeah, about 10 years ago. 
Yeah. Um, I do remember this. Yeah. I, and so I read the book and I felt this conviction. I should do this. And he made a claim in the book that I just said to myself, not possible. Makes no sense to me. <laughs> well, just what was the, and, well, the claim was, brushed him off. well, the claim was like a physiological one. Okay. He said that if you wake up at three, you pray for an hour at four and you go back to bed at four and then you just wake up at your normal time. You will not be tired. You will be more you rested. You have super energy. You will, you will, it, it'll, it won't be like you got disrupted in your sleep and now you're groggy and you're going to have a lousy day. He said, no. He said, the experience that people have is that when they pray during that hour of visitation, they have, in fact, no negative effects, but in fact, positive effects when they wake up and they move on. And like I, that's what I said to you. I, I, I read it and I'm like, that's not possible. It doesn't make any sense to me because I know how many times I've woken up at night, had trouble going back to sleep, and then woke up in the morning and was extremely tired and it was not helpful at all. Yeah, okay. But that's not what this is. Okay. This is the intentional decision to get up and to pray during the hour of visitation. Now have scientists come out with this new study it says everyone yeah, should get up at three, be awake for an hour. This is the new hustle. <laughs> no, I'm not saying that. Um, are you saying though that it you were never tired? Yeah, not it, that. It, no, it worked. I could. It was a grace, though. It was a it was a grace Amen. thing where I I felt that prompting to do it, and I made the effort to follow the prompting. Got up, would pray three to four, and. And it's called the hour, and then when I'd go back to bed, and then I'd wake back up a couple hours later, I was fine. Okay, I really was fine. But now let's let's dig into what's so special about three to four in the morning as an hour of visitation. Apart from the fact that okay, the Lord had this encounter with them in the boat. What happens at three in the morning? I don't know. Nothing. <laughs> no, that's a good answer. Nothing's yeah. happening. Your brain is okay. Basically empty. So what would I do? I would go, uh, we were living in our federal way house at the time, and I would go to the the room that... Um, was it overlooking, overlooking the, the cul-de-sac? The, yeah, overlooking the cul-de-sac. Okay. And I could kind of see, and why did I realize? Everything was still. And then I realized as well that everyone was asleep. and And so the idea of me praying for people... It was like praying blessings on those who were not actively attempting to prevent blessings from happening. And it was like, wow. Like, do you feel like your prayer could be more effective for people at that time? It was, yeah. I've, it, it just felt like the sense I had was there, there's a receptivity. There, there's a, a, a greater openness to just be blessed, like the Lord just showering blessings upon you as you sleep. The Lord blesses those whom he loves, his children, while they slumber. Right? Is that Psalm 127, I Yeah, think? 127, Tom. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so, you know, while, while, while they're at rest, God is blessing this, the children that delight in him. And I also found that my mind was so much less cluttered. Yes. And, and that's one of the reasons why, in our tradition, the best time to do contemplative prayer is first thing in the morning, because you have fewer things that have intruded into your mind when you get started in your day, and so it's easier to pray. But what a beautiful thing. But it was a grace, and so it was with me for a time. I don't know, it might have been just like a, a couple of weeks, a few weeks, and then the grace was gone, and I slept through the three o'clock hour after that. But I remember being a bit saddened, saddened because when I was in the midst of the grace of praying at three in the morning, it was so beautiful. I had this sense of, oh, I'm never going to stop doing this. I know. I love that. I'm going to just do this for the rest Why of my life. Why haven't I been doing this all my life? Yeah. It was kind of like taking the clothes showers during the, you know, during that, the, those graced times and feeling this is really helping me spiritually die to myself and all of that. And I'm, oh, I'm never going to take a hot shower again the rest of my life. I can't <laughs> believe I was so wimpy I ever needed a hot shower. 
and and that lasted for a few weeks, and then it's back to the hot chill. This is not hot enough. Let me put my hand in until it's really hot. Terrible, terrible, weak, weak, weak. So what else about the uh, visitation and that that gospel story about the boat? Say boat. Boat? What's wrong with boat? The way you say boat. Boat. Jesus in the boat. Boat. The way you say it just is like... I think it was just being distinct. Yeah, it has like a popping sound. Yeah. Well, so what happens? Jesus approaches supernaturally in making his visitation, and what does that call forth from Peter? Uh, courage, faith, excitement. I want to do that. I want to be Inspiration. in on this. I want to be in on this visitation, and that's going to take a bit of courage, a bit of willingness to step, literally step out step in faith, out. to yeah. step out beyond in faith. And I, I love that because it explains some things, and it also encourages some things. All what right. it explains is why we don't act so often in courage and in great faith to step out of our comfortable places because we haven't had visitations. That's really good, Tom. So that would be a beautiful thing to pray for. Lord, grant me the visitation needed in my life so that I can step out of the comfortable safety of the of the boat that I'm in. Lord, I want the courage of Peter to step out in faith and do something that appears almost ridiculous at a human level, but is is a way of having me advance in faith. Yes. I want that. I want that, Lord. I want the visitation, please. I might not want to get up three to four in the morning, but whatever that visitation means, let it be so. Yes, Lord, even if it's three to four in the morning. But I just love the fact that this wasn't all planned when we did all this. And you've been telling me, I've been getting woken up at three in the morning, 259, 301. I love that, Carrie. Any? Uh... Oh, well, this has been happening over the course of a few years. The interesting thing is I have to shut my brain down because all of a sudden there is a way in the middle of the night where your brain can play tricks on you. Oh, really? Yes. Oh, wow. I, I don't know what that means. I guess we'll just, I guess we'll never know, people. We'll, we're up against it's a, a break. When we find That's out, it. we'll nope. come back. We'll no have... one's going to know. <laughs> All right, back in a minute. That's Carrie Curran. This is Tom Curran listening to Sound Insight. Back in a minute. Welcome back to Sound Insight. This is Tom Curran. It's great to be with you today. We're talking about some stories of Jesus and the boat, Jesus in boats. Um, and so we've talked about Peter and the miraculous catch of fish. That was the basis of his call. We've talked about Jesus calming the storms in the boat. We've talked about now Jesus in the hour of visitation, stepping forward and calling forward from Peter, the willingness to step in faith. And interestingly, just to finish off that story, what happened to Peter when he stepped out on the water? He lost faith and sank. Yeah, he and first Peter did it. Said, Jesus said, you have little faith, or something like that. Is that close? Yeah. Yeah, that's good. That's good enough. Just going to stop right <laughs> we'll there. move on from there. <laughs> Step away from the boat. <laughs> well, here's what I like. It, this is what I like. It's that he had the courage to try, but that doesn't mean he's going to be perfect at it. He's not going to necessarily succeed. And he did it, and then he started to sink, and then the Lord had to rescue him, pick him up by the hand, and get him back into that safe place. And it's, it's for me, a, a way of saying, how are you going to grow in faith if you don't step out in faith? And if you step out in faith, it doesn't mean it's going to be successful and wildly generating beautiful results and all these fruits. No, you might fail and fall down, but that's okay. The Lord's still got you, and he'll, he'll get you back up. He'll get you back in the boat. And then get ready. You'll have to do it again. Now, I'm coaching these junior high girls and it's such a broad range of capabilities you've got some girls that are pretty talented and they know all the rules they understand all the different calls and fouls and and all that and they're skilled and then other girls on the same team who have don't know how to dribble a ball don't know how to do a layup don't know the rules of the game on the same team but 
at uh, we've only had two practices. We've got our first game today, Friday. Yay. So say a prayer for that. But we uh, we have at the end say, what's an encouragement? What what did you see that that was positive that you want to call out? And the girls would call each other out and just say, I love how you you know, you've been working really hard and you've improved and how you you weren't afraid to try new things and and even seventh and eighth grade girls, sixth, seventh, eighth, and ninth grade girls on the team recognize that that you're not going to improve, you're not going to advance if you're not willing to give it a shot, even when you're manifestly not good compared to pretty much anybody else on that court. And so I love that. And so as the coach, I want to be so encouraged. Hopefully I am. I am encouraging to these young ladies who are just getting launched, but not yet, uh, not yet there. They, they feel the encouragement to say, I want to go forward. You know, I think it's, it speaks to our own call and ministry. Sometimes I'll do things for multiple motives. And just to be in check that I do it for the Lord, that I do it to honor Him because He's called me, and to have Him purify and cleanse and just reset my heart in the right way that is doing it to honor and glorify Him and love Him. Because I think often when we have to step out and we fail, it's the failure of how other people perceive us. I think that's the fear that we would have. I'm afraid that other people will look upon this situation or this event or this activity and kind of, you know, smirk or she didn't have her act together or this didn't go right. Or now maybe this is just all in my own head, (laughs) but to be honestly, I was just thinking about this the other day, Tom, that, um, when that new awakening of faith happened in my heart, I remember, um, being in a religion class and everyone got a turn to pray at the beginning of class, a prayer for, you know, you know, just the Our Father or Hail Mary or whatever prayer you wanted to pray. And I remember like, I'm going to go all out. I'm just going to go all in. And it was, oh, Lord, I just pray for all these freshmen that are in this class. Lord, you just awaken in them, Jesus. You awaken in them light. You awaken them hope. You Did awaken- you really? Oh, I went all out. I've been married for I prayed for, for like five minutes. <laughs> It I've never in, heard this before. It was in Father. You've been, you've been holding out on. No, me. it was in Father Kemp's class. He used to be a pastor at St. Monica's, and um, praying for him. I pray for him all the time in the chapel because I just wanted him to have this encounter with God. And and this is the only class at Kennedy I got a B in. <laughs> and I was like, that's oh, okay. Going to, you, one day I'll you, be in heaven. Are you connecting that to your prayer? That no, I just much? was oh, super were... outspoken. I was very evangelical. Evangelical, yeah. Yes, and I, I think I just annoyed him. He's just like who, he didn't know what to make with me, make of me. But um, I did it like out of pure love and conviction, and I didn't even think twice. What are they going to think of me? I could care less. It was I wanted Jesus to like show up and have like actually them all have a visitation of the Lord. Um, well, so there was just this just freedom to. Yeah. Be it's, totally, it's hilarity. It's not taking yourself too seriously. I certainly didn't. Yeah. Just totally sold out. I don't have that in the same degree anymore. And I'm afraid to step out of the boat. I'm afraid that I'm going to sink. I'm afraid that, you know, it's a scripture we talked about yesterday where Jesus says, woe to you that you want to look well upon or you want to enjoy life or you want to have, you know, he's like warning you just this is not where your heart should be. Uh, yeah. I don't know. I'm just kind of rambling because it's no, so it's late. <laughs> I well, can't no, put two Thomas Aquinas. I, how many times have we talked about this through the years on Sound Insight that St. Thomas Aquinas contrasts magnanimity, the virtue of someone who wants to extend themselves to do something great for God, and you need holiness for that. He contrasts it with the vice, and the vice that counters magnanimity is called pusillanimity. That person who's pusillanimous is the one who refuses to extend themselves to do what is in their power. The pusillanimous person is the person who refuses to do not something great for God, but to do what is even in their power to do. 
And he gives two reasons for it. He quotes uh, Augustine and Gregory the Great. Why wouldn't they do what is in their power? Do you know why? He uh, said fear. It. Fear. Fear is, is one reason. Fear. And I think that was Augustine said fear is, is the reason why people wouldn't do what is in their power. And the second one from Gregory the Great was they don't realize they're gifted. What are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? You, you got, got the, the gift. gift. Jinx. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and you stop and think about that. And it's like we have people who are so gifted and they use their gifts in worldly ways to great effect. Yes. Uh, and, and you contrast that with using your gifts for God's purposes. Like not even aware that God is calling you. Not even aware that the Lord would love to work his salvation through you and to just incredibly bless your life, to just this this kind of, this whole scripture in Luke where he is asking us to be generous and what you reap, you what you sow, you will reap. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, what you give will be given back to you, yes, good measure, full, thank you. pressed down. What you give will be given back to you. And it in wasn't... full measure. And it's not really even about, it's like a moral code. If you really want to have a blessed life, be generous with the gifts God's given you because it'll come back to bless you. Not just because you're serving the Lord, but this is just like a human condition or a human rule. It, yeah, it, it's a rule of human nature. It, it says in the Acts of the Apostles, quoting Jesus is better to give than to receive. Mm-hmm. And in our, in our tradition, when we talk about how we're made in the image of God, we're made in such a way that we find fulfillment by pouring ourselves out, yeah. giving ourselves away, not in attempting to get fulfilled. You don't get fulfilled by seeking to be filled. Full, fully filled. Fully Full filled. Things. You don't get fully filled by seeking to be filled. I'm yeah. feeling empty right now. Fill me up. No, you become fulfilled as a human being. By seeking to be emptied, by seeking to be poured out, giving yourself in loving service to others. That's where fulfillment comes in. And it, it, it's so counterintuitive, but it's true. It's manifestly true for those who do it. It's so life-giving to, to live, you know, purposeful when, you, <laughs> when you're living on behalf of others versus just living for yourself, it's, which is so empty. And yet, it's the perennial temptation it's always present in human history, and it's near at hand for each of us. Each of us has a temptation multiple times a day. Let me live for myself versus living for God. Actually, that, that, that'll be my cue for the last story since we only have a tiny little bit of time. Okay, the last story of Jesus in the boat is after the resurrection, one of the appearances of Jesus happens at a seashore in John 21. And he calls out to the boat. And what does he say? What are you doing, little children? And, and they're like, we're fishing. And he says, toss your net over the side. And he catch 153 fish. And it's at the catch of fish that Peter says, it's the Lord. And remember, he jumps in the water. And he, he, uh, John yells, it's the Lord. Peter jumps in the water. And then they go right. and be with him. 153 fish. You know what our tradition was? No. 153 Hail Marys and the 15-decade rosary. So that was a, a, an indication <laughs> of you want to catch fish, you want to have a great catch of fish, pray the rosary. All right, end of the, end of the program. Thanks so much. Uh, God bless your day. God bless your weekend. Join me on Monday for more Sound Insight.